Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. You're going to need to be in your Bible tonight, of course, and those three areas of Scripture that you're going to turn to is Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah chapter 4, as well as Titus chapter 2, and John chapter 6. I'm going to say them again, Nehemiah chapter 4, Titus chapter 2, John chapter 6. If you're a note taker, which I pray that you are on Thursday nights because you're the double dippers. So if you're a note taker, the title of tonight's message is A Mind to Work. A Mind to Work. Now before we dig into Nehemiah, I want to give us a little history lesson. Not that I don't think you know, but I would like to simply catch you up to speed to where Nehemiah is at. Israel has been a naughty nation. And God has given them a shot because he's such a long-suffering God over a series of hundreds of years to glorify him and to honor him and to be the nation that gives him glory and gives him honor and gives him praise. They have strayed at this point in their history so far from that truth. So much so, they were quarantined in Babylon and Persia for 70 years. Now just imagine if COVID lasted another 68 years. Imagine if they tell us again, go back inside. I personally loved the go back inside. I love not hearing the five or the 405. Um, I loved, I mean, uh, I'm a couple miles from the, uh, from the ocean, but I could actually hear the waves because it wasn't being drowned out by the five, which runs so closely to my house. I mean, there was something wonderful, right, about doing work in your pajamas, tell the truth. There was something a little nice for a little while, you know. Um, I saw something on Instagram the other day that I thought was hilarious, and I do Instagram to follow my children, right? Um, And also my grandchildren, they live in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And so um, this one guy, Christian guy, he had a picture of the Pharaoh of Egypt, okay, and Moses. Picture of Pharaoh, Egypt, and Moses. And Pharaoh is speaking to the United States of America, and he says, really, you're upset about one plague? And I just thought that was the most hilarious thing. Like, here is Pharaoh rebuking the U.S. um, because he got 10, we got one, right? Imagine if this was the last for that period of time. Imagine what would change about us and about our nation. Well, after this 70-year quarantine, this 70-year getaway from Israel for a while, there was a man, a noble guy by the name of Zerubbabel, and God had called him to go back to Israel and to rebuild the temple. And you know, Zechariah chapter four, verse six, a Calvary chapel stronghold, not by might nor by strength, but by my spirit says, you got it. God said, Zerubbabel, I'm going to build this temple. Watch what I am going to do. 
It would only be a few years later, there would be another wave of captives that would leave the area of the Middle East and go back, excuse me, from Babylon and go back to Israel. And this was led by a priest. He would come from a line of priests. His name was Ezra. And when he returned to Israel, he didn't rebuild the temple. He rebuilt the spirituality of the nation of Israel. He poured into Israel spiritual reformation. But there was one thing missing, and that was a wall. You see, I know that we look at the walls of our house and it's a fence, right? And it gives us some privacy. But a wall of a nation at that time was not about privacy. It was about safety. It was about security. And it was about protection. And you've got these waves of Jews that have gone back to Israel and they're looking for some safety, looking for some peace and prosperity. And they believed it was a wall. And there was a cupbearer didn't come from a priestly line, didn't come from the royal noble line like Zerubbabel. No, no, no. There was a cupbearer, some guy that was giving the king the drinks. Now, you know the story. He was a cupbearer on purpose because he would sip the wine. The king would wait. If this cupbearer dropped over dead, the king would know, I'm not going to drink that particular cup. His life was on the line every single day. His name? His name was Nehemiah. Nehemiah. And God had stirred Nehemiah's heart to do something. He had stirred Nehemiah's heart to get to work. And the work that he was called to do specifically for this season and this time was to build the wall. I've already said it wasn't a matter of privacy. This was a matter of national security. This was like have Israel currently having the Iron Dome so that when the rockets are coming over from Hezbollah and Lebanon and all of those other countries, they have a Star Wars event that goes on that another rocket goes off and hits the missile in the air. That's exactly what Israel was producing. Not an Iron Dome, but a wall. And Nehemiah knew it. But Nehemiah, he expected opposition. So much so that when he arrived in Jerusalem with all the king's money and all the king's men, but he wasn't building Humpty Dumpty. He was going to build the wall back again. Oh, that was a poem, and I didn't even know it. I'll never be able to say it again. Nehemiah arrived expecting opposition, not just from outside, But he expected opposition from inside. He knew the Jews. And so when he arrived, he went around the wall looking at its condition at night. He didn't want anyone to know what he was up to until he had created a plan. If you want to study leadership, study the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, knowing that there would be opposition, it did not deter him. It actually determined him. In fact, if you are looking at some commentaries and you read Warren Wearsby, he is entitled the book of Nehemiah, Be Determined. Because if there's anything that you see in Nehemiah's quality, nobody was going to tell him no when God told him yes. Nobody was going to say he couldn't do it when God said you would do it. So Nehemiah 
Expecting this opposition, they started building the wall. And this opposition came so much so that Nehemiah had half the team with weapons in hand while he had the other half working. And when that team was done working, they would put the weapons in their hand so that the other team could start working and they built the wall. Nehemiah, he writes in his own memoir, The Progress. Would you take a look with me? It's Nehemiah chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 6. Let's take a look. Nehemiah chapter 4. Now that we have the history under our belt, we understand where we are in Israeli history. Look at the memoir of Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 6. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Would you say that? A mind to work. Okay, some of you said it, some of you did it. So we're going to try it one more time. Okay, we're going to do a little interactive thing. Let's stay with me. A mind to work. work. There we go, South Bay. You're on on the ball. I love it. I loved. uh, You guys were, I I mean, I saw someone dancing in the spirit over here. I saw hands lifted up and people clapping and singing amen. So I know you got it in you. A A mind to work. There we go. Let's break it down. Take a look at this verse. So we. We. You know, the amazing thing about that pronoun is that Nehemiah is reporting they worked together. They worked together. In fact, if you read Nehemiah chapter 2, the entire chapter is about this family next to this family. This family next to this family. This family next to this family. They were hand in hand. They were unified. And let me tell you something about a church that is unified. There's nothing we can't do. There's nothing we can't do. Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and his father is one. And the reason he prayed for unity is because he knows the impact of unity. Church, Calvary Chapel South Bay is close to 8,000 people. Imagine one unified effort in the county of L.A. what this church could accomplish on its own. Amen? We. So we built. Look at that word, built. So we built. They built the wall to provide protection. They built the wall to provide safety and security for their children, for their wives, for their crops. This wall meant something to this nation, and so we built it. But let me tell you what that word means. Have you ever picked up a heavy rock? Have you ever picked up a rock that was just a little bit bigger than what you are? Have you ever picked up a rock and you're going, wow, this thing is heavy? Imagine all day, every day, you are, you and your family are picking up slabs of stone that are 10 feet long. And you are picking up, do you think there are any smash fingers? Do you think there are any smash fingers? Yes. You think some people lost their fingernails? Yes. Do you think there was some blood on that wall? Yes. Do you think, now I don't know about you because I know all of you are much more holier than me. I was nailing the other day and I did the right on my thumb. Now, thankfully, nothing came out that was unattractive, but I guarantee it was in my heart. (laughs) Have you ever done that? Have you ever been surprised at what comes out of your mouth when you accidentally hit your thumb with a hammer or you accidentally, well, you know what's happening and here are these Jews. Do you know what the word built means? It means it took hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. And I guarantee on this wall, 
Someone might have died from some family because they were so committed to build the wall. So we built, take a look at the scripture, the wall and the entire wall. Stop there if you would, entire. Not half the wall, not most of the wall. We built all of the wall. We built the entire wall. What an expression that their entire heart was in the work. They were diligent. They were going to complete it. The wisest guy that ever lived, his name was Solomon. He writes this, whatever you put your hands to, put all of your heart in it. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Now that's the Chet version. But when you get there to verse 10 of chapter 9 in Ecclesiastes, he says, whatever you put your hands to, give it all of your heart. Give it everything you've got. Church, listen. So we built the wall and The entire wall, take a look at this next phrase, was joined together. Nehemiah had stationed families all around the perimeter of the wall. And each family was either doing a gate, they were doing the wall, they were doing the north section, the south section, the east section, the western gate, whatever place it was, every single one of them had a different responsibility. And I guarantee with that many leaders, especially Jewish leaders all around that wall, they had many different ways that they were going to build that wall. But the Bible says they joined together, even though they were different people with different gifts and different opportunities in different locations, they built the wall together. The Bible says that each one of you have a gift, different gifts. And each one of you have a different way to use that gift. I teach different than Pastor Jeff, but he's got a teaching gift and I have a teaching gift. And God uses our same gift different ways. Now imagine putting all the gifts together. It's why Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered, there I am, because he's better represented by two people than one, because none of us have all the gifts. They joined together. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. I love this. They're not done yet. But Nehemiah reports celebration. When I looked, we were done to half its height. Whoa! Can I tell you we haven't won L.A. yet? But I heard a friend of mine tell me two days ago, that he won one soul. We haven't won LA yet, but we got one more soul in. Praise the Lord. We might be at a quarter of the height. We might be at half the height. We might be at three quarters of the height in South Bay here in LA, but we can celebrate every person that gets saved because we're on the way to doing the work of God. So the people, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people. Do you notice that Nehemiah doesn't even mention his name? People. People. There's not one name that's mentioned here. We have no idea who is building. We have no idea who he was looking at, who he was thinking of. We have no idea of anything other than the people. The people. Let me tell you something about people. There's one true fact about people. The Bible says that every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something about that. There's no six foot four when you're kneeling. 
we're all the same height. You can't distinguish one from the other when all you see is the back. You see, my friends, the church doesn't exist because of Pastor Chet. I'm just a brother. And you're just a sister. You're just a brother. It was only 60 years ago that we moved away from calling each other brother and sister. Now the Mormons have taken it, and it sounds weird when we do it. But in the church that my mom grew up in, it was brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. There was no senior pastor. There was no associate pastor. Let's thank the Industrial Revolution for bringing in titles. We were brother and we were sister. We were the people. We were the sheep of God's folds. We're the people. And the people are what make the church. I was talking to the staff today and I said, listen, when people call and say, where's the church? Say, we don't know. They're all over L.A. No, no, we're talking about the building. Well, you're asking the wrong question. Ask where the building is. The church is all over L.A. We're the people that make up the church. And here's what he says. Here's our point. For the people had a mind to work. This word mind in the Hebrew, let me tell you what it means. It means heart. I looked in the mirror today. Can I tell you? I'm wearing my heart. I got like five pair of jeans. I probably got about 10 shirts. I probably have, I won't tell you how many shoes I got. (laughs) But I will say this. When we were moving from Orange County to LA County, all of my shoes were in a bin, okay? And the only bin that fell on I-5 was every blessed one of my shoes. And I felt like God was telling me, you're a glutton. So I've repented. And I just ordered just a couple more. (laughs) God forgive me. I'm wearing what I wanted to wear. I'm wearing the shoes that I want to wear. I'm wearing the socks that I wanted to wear. These clothes were in my heart. You know what else is in my heart? Chocolate. How many of you love chocolate? It's very important for me to know this. Yeah, I love you. I love you. I love you. So listen to what my son did to me, okay? He knows chocolate is so much in my heart. I challenged him at the new year, and I said, look, not that we do New Year's resolution the whole deal, but I said to him, listen, six months, no soda. I don't think you can do it. He goes, great. How much money you got? I said, okay, I'm in. So we talked about it. Then he goes like this. He goes like this. All right, since you're challenging me, i got to challenge you. No chocolate for six months. I literally almost had a heart attack. Like, I, I started sweating profusely, and I realized I have an issue. Like, when they say chocoholic, so listen, I'm 20 days in. I'm 20 days. Someone celebrate. Like, I've done it 20 days. Now, I can't guarantee that I'm going to make it. But by the grace of God, I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? They had a heart to build the wall. They had a mind to work. Now, let me tell you, this word is not the word work, which you think the word work. There's a a word in Hebrew that would mean work. This word work means to make. It means to do. It means to execute. In the words of Larry the Cable Guy, it means get her done. It means make it happen. 
That's this word. They had a heart to make it happen. So much so, they actually completed this wall, according to Nehemiah chapter 8, in 52 days. It's like a supernatural accomplishment. It would be like me saying right now, right now, 52 days from now, we are going to win all of L.A. because South Bay had a mind to work. I expected one or two more amens in that. (laughs) And I wonder, do you believe that? Because no one would have believed that they would have built this wall in 52 days. And I wonder if you believe that. I mean, we memorize verses like, I can do all things through Christ and strengthens me. It's a great plaque right there with a Thomas Kincaid in my house. It's a, and I don't have a Thomas Kincaid, but it's, a, you know, it's one of those like plaque pictures that's like, oh, yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We all love the, with God, all things are possible. And we quote it, we put it on a plaque, we memorize it. But I wonder, do we believe in God that in 52 days we could win all of L.A.? Do we believe that? I have a better question. Because I believe that God can do it. And when God sent Nehemiah to build the wall, he didn't send Nehemiah to build the wall to fail. He sent Nehemiah with a mind to work. And that wall was going to be completed. So for me, I'm not doubting God at all. The better question, and I'm including myself into this, do we, Calvary Chapel South Bay, have the same mind to work. Because let me tell you something. You may bleed a little. Let me tell you something. A stone may drop on your foot. I gave my dog a bone, and it's like a real cowhide bone, and it's heavy. He brought it over to me while I was studying this particular scripture and dropped it on my shin. And I just thought to myself, imagine a rock, the hard work it took to have a mind to work to do this wall. So first thing I think we need to deal with is our mindset. And we need to think about the way that we think about work. I mean, they have to pay us to do it. So that should tell you where we are in regards to what we think about work. And sometimes we'll leave one job to get paid more so that we can be paid more to work. So the very fact that we've got to be paid to work should indicate to us the way that we think about work. So what I want to do is go all the way back to when you were a child, and I want to mention a very nasty word to you, chores. Do you remember? Do you remember when dad would come and say it's chore day? Do you remember the ensemble of misery that would come out of you and your brothers and your sisters? You were thinking about nothing but play on Saturday morning. Mom or dad walks in and says, guess what, son? You're mopping the floor. This is the sound at my house. Why when I say we're going to Disneyland, don't you make those noises? Work. My dad had a belief about work, and this was it. If you walk, you work. We were immigrants. I am originally from the Bahamas. We came over on a working visa of my dad. We got a green card, and we lived here. Well, my dad lost his job when we moved here. But he wasn't going back to the Bahamas. He wanted to give his kids a different opportunity. 
When my wife and I moved back to the Bahamas several years ago, my dad thought I was, a, I was a complete failure. I brought you from that place to live here, and now you're taking your children back to where I rescued you from. That was my father's interpretation. And it was a wonderful experience for us. Um, we loved being there, and then we came back. Wait, that didn't sound like how I wanted it to sound. Don't you know it's better in the Bahamas? But we were immigrants. And let me tell you what we did to survive. At a very young age, my dad and I would drive around when it was bulk trash pickup day. And we would pick up everyone's junk. And then on Saturday morning, I would go with my dad and sell it at the swap shop. We survived like that for two years. If you walk, you work. And so when someone mentions work to me, or they don't want to work, or there is an understanding of work, something happens in me because, listen, we were immigrants. You didn't call a plumber. You couldn't afford it. You fixed it. And if it broke, you fixed it again. You didn't call an electrician. You know how many times I've been shocked at 11 years old? It's kind of like, do I hold it like this, Dad? You know, you know kind of thing. And I, I, when my dad would say, we've got a project, I knew it wasn't building Legos together. I knew it wasn't like, hey, we're going to go horseback riding. I knew I was going to get electrically shocked or a hammer was going to fall on my nail or he was going to yell at me because I'm not holding it right. Work. And I wonder if we've got to be honest with ourselves. And let me just put out a mindset for us. Now, be honest. How many of you are still stuck in the COVID conundrum of complacency? Now, be honest with yourself. You kind of enjoyed pajamas at work. You like the flexible schedule. And now we're kind of coming out of it. Traffic is getting heavier. There's a lot of people. It's like, I miss those days of quarantine when, you know, I could sleep in a little bit and I could do work when I wanted to. As long as I was productive, I could watch a movie while I'm doing my deal. How many of you could be still stuck in that COVID conundrum of complacency. Let me throw out a different one. What about church? Now, for those of you who are listening online, I'm about to make a disclaimer. Because I know you're there because you're not feeling well and you've probably got Megatron. So I, I want you to know that this is not talking to you. But I don't call it Omicron. It's Megatron and the other Transformers on his way. Trust me. <laughs> I had people leave my church because we asked one time to, to wear a mask. And then we took the mask. We left the sign up, Orange County, different than L.A. County. And then people left the church because we're not wearing masks. Are you a masker or a non-masker? Well, I'm going back to watching online. We could use the COVID conundrum as an excuse. And you know what amazed me? There was a guy that left our church. He's an anti-masker. I'm leaving. So I'm flying to Texas. I'm waiting in line for the bathroom. And there is Mr. Anti-Masker with his mask on. 
Because if he doesn't have it on, they're going to kick him off the airplane. And he wants to go to Houston. So I looked at him with all the mercy that I could conjure up within me. And I said, funny to see you on an airplane. And you're in a mask. Well, <laughs> well, I just don't think it should happen at church. Really? When the entire book of 2 Corinthians is written about laying down your rights? That Paul would rather give up all of his rights for the sake of one person coming to Christ and you left church? Or is it just an excuse because you didn't want any more investment of godliness? This was all in the aisle of the airplane. The people on either side were feeling really uncomfortable. (laughs) You see, maybe we've not lost the mindset to work. Worse yet, I wonder if we're making excuses of why we can't work. I used to volunteer over the children's ministry, but, you know, I've kind of grown out of that. I used to usher and greet at the church. That was when we were first here, but that was like 30 years ago. I mean, I don't need to do that anymore. I've escalated. I've got a little brownie patch. Remember the brownie patch sashes on? Remember the little brownie patch sash, the little Girl Scout thing? I got the usher patch, okay? I don't need to usher anymore. I got the mission trip patch. I don't need to go on another mission trip anymore. I have got the like little health certificate patch. Okay, one day someone passed out. I helped him out. I don't need to help anyone else. That was overwhelming. Imagine the excuses that we can come up with that sounds so foolish right now as I talk about a Girl Scout sash, but what excuses have you come up with and have lost the mind to pick up the rock that God has given you, no matter if it makes you bloody, no matter if it makes you cry, no matter if you you lose your life, I'm going to have a mind to work and build this wall. You see, I wonder if the church has lost God's perspective. Because work was a part of perfection. In Genesis chapter 2, God told Adam, tend the garden. He made us all farmers. I want you to work the fields. I want you Work is a part of perfection, according to God. It's why Jesus would say in Luke 19, be busy till I come. Go to work and put your hand to the plow and don't turn back. If you do, you're not fit for the kingdom. And what he's saying is, not that you're not going to heaven, you got to start training because if you're looking back and you're not plowing, do you know what your cornfield is going to look like? And I wonder if the church in America has crooked rows because we've lost the mind of Jesus who said, aren't there 12 hours in a day? I got to work while there is today. And then at the end of his life, he said this in John 17, 4, Father, I glorified you. I did the work that you asked me to do. Don't we all want to say that? Calvary Chapel, South Bay. Don't we want to die and say at the end of our lives, I did what God has called me to do. Now, I love the Holy Spirit. He knows that humanity has a lazy gene. It's not just your children. I grew up in the Bahamas and I still use the illustration, you can't walk to school. I used to walk up a hill in the snow. It has never snowed in the Bahamas. (laughs) Not one day has it ever snowed in the Bahamas. But it's amazing how we look at our children and think they're lazy and we don't evaluate ourselves. But the Holy Spirit does. 
The Holy Spirit constantly evaluates us and he knows our tendency for complacency. So he gave us an entire letter of instruction. Turn with me to Titus chapter 1. I ask you to keep your finger there. Titus chapter 1. This entire letter is Paul encouraging the church, get to work. Get to work. And let me tell you why. Take a look at Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. He has told them, Titus, I've left you in Crete, a specific island, to set things in order. Now take a look at verse 12, speaking about the island. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Let me tell you what the Cretans have idolized. Zeus. You see, the Cretans believed that Zeus was born in Crete and he became a god in Crete. It was man become God. And they idolized Zeus. There was a temple to Zeus. And Zeus's ways, he was lazy, made everyone else do everything for him. He was a womanizer and he was a liar. And unfortunately, this infiltrated the church. And it's why he would leave Titus in Crete because there were Cretans that were at Pentecost and they came to know the power of Jesus Christ there at Pentecost. They went back and a church was formed, but Titus was left there by Paul because the church had adopted the culture. They took on the COVID conundrum and they'd become lazy. Stop coming to church. They stopped serving. And they had taken on the attribute of the culture. Now, I understand because I'm from the islands. Let me tell you something. This thing that you hear is an American accent. I learned this. I am a Bahamian. And boy, let me tell you, when I get to the Bahamas, I'm a pure Bahamian man. I'm telling you. We don't spank our children. We cut your hip. That's what we do. We don't have a trunk. We put things in the boot. Now, you're going, what is a boot? That's the back of your car. I don't know why. What's a trunk that's on the end of an elephant? (laughs) And I understand island because we have a national motto in the Bahamas, and here it is. No problem. No problem, man. Let me tell you what no problem means. No problem means if they're late 20 minutes. No problem. No problem means if they don't show up for six, six weeks. No problem. No problem is good for you and bad for you. Because if you're late, you can say... No problem. But if you need them there on time, they can say, I understand the Cretans. No problem. Island people can be lazy. Who wouldn't want to stare at the beautiful waters all of their days? And the Cretans were lazy and it came into the church. And Paul had to remind them, get to work. Take a look at chapter 3. Remind them to subject to rulers and authorities to obey to be ready for every good work. Once again, the Holy Spirit repeats himself. Would you take a look at verse 8? Maintain good works. Once again, take a look at verse 14. The Holy Spirit repeats himself three times. And let our people also learn to maintain good works. Paul is getting across the point. 
They've got to get to work. And in chapter 2, verse 7, he's speaking to young men. And young men, let me tell you, you are the strength and great power behind the church. There's wisdom and there is zeal. Wisdom looks old and maybe gray-haired and slow. And zeal looks young and doesn't know what they're doing. But in the church, wisdom and zeal get married and we accomplish great things. And so Paul said, young men have a pattern of good works. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, be zealous for good works. It's not, well, I used to work in children's ministry. I can't wait to get to children's ministry. I'm going to volunteer tonight. I can't wait to be an usher. I can't wait to serve on the prayer team. I can't wait to study the word of God. Zeal actually means zeal. But he says, I want you to be zealous for a good work. And the Holy Spirit He wants to move in all of our hearts tonight, and I pray now that you have spiritual ears to hear. Because I believe the Holy Spirit, through the book of Titus, wants to motivate our church, wants to rejuvenate our church, wants to inspire our church. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to remind our church. I believe the Holy Spirit is renewing the church that we need a mind to work. Say a mind to work. Do you remember the first day on the job? You remember you couldn't wait for the boss to tell you what to do or how to do it? And you're just following around the boss. Now you're 15 years into it and it's kind of like, oh, you want me to work? Are you serious? Just give me a pay raise. I've been here 15 years. This seat has held my backside for 15 years and I deserve a raise just because I've sat here. You understand, you know people in the workplace that are like that. Well, Listen. And listen carefully. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to get us to the first day of the job where we were like, what do you want me to do? Because we have a spiritual employer. His name is the Chief Shepherd. He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel, South Bay. And he's given us an answer on what we're supposed to do. Let me tell you what it is. Preach the gospel and make disciples. Our Chief Shepherd has given us a command. And the command of our spiritual employer is preach the gospel and make disciples. That's what he's called us to do. Turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I want you to see the work of the gospel. John chapter 6, verse 29. John chapter 6, verse 29. They ask a question, what shall we do? They want to know, how can we be saved? Jesus answered and said to them, This is, underline this in your Bible, make a plaque of it. Calvary Chapel, South Bay, listen. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Belief is the work. And anything that surrounds belief is the work. To the disciples, he said it like this. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Here's the point. The work of the church is, is to bring people to faith or to nurture faith. That's why he told the church in Mark chapter 16, preach the gospel. That's the work. It involves faith. That's why he told the church in Matthew 28, make disciples. Evangelism and discipleship is the work. And Paul would say in 2 Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Evangelism. 
He would say, preach the word in season and out of season because we're to make disciples. Now, church, let me tell you what my job is as pastor. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says Christ gave gifts to men. Some pastor, teacher. And here's why. For the edifying of the body and equipping the body for the work of the ministry. What's the work? Preach the gospel. Make disciples. The work is faith. So I want to edify you right now. And here's where we're going to close. Let's go all the way back to the garden. God gave a perfect work. And he said, Adam, tend the garden. No wonder when Jesus was talking to church workers, he said this. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who went out into the field, which is the world, and he threw seed. Doesn't say he wanted to. Doesn't say he tried to. He threw it. He was doing the perfect work of preaching the gospel and make disciples. So much so, Paul would capitalize on this, and he would say in 2 Timothy, be a hard-working farmer. Get busy about the work of God. Have a mind to work. Now, you might be going, wait a second, this sounds a little exhausting, and your teaching style is much different than Pastor Jeff. I mean, I'm a little exhausted just listening to you. I mean, will you be here next Thursday? (laughs) The employer has great benefits when you work for him. He's called the Holy Spirit. And if you're exhausted because you had a mind to work for 10 years and you've kind of taken a little COVID conundrum break, he says, ask the Spirit because the Spirit longs to work. Look at the life of Jesus. Church, edify you. Listen. Do you remember when Jesus was hungry in John chapter 4? And he sent the disciples to the Samaritan village. And he, they thought he sent them there to get food. But he was really sending them to minister the gospel. But they were so concerned about their stomachs. They come back and they go, <gasps> Jesus is talking to a woman. <sighs> Samaritan woman. She runs. You guys got to come and see them. He told me everything I've ever done. She's the evangelist and she's just been saved an hour. The entire Samaritan village comes, and while they're coming, the disciples look and they go, Jesus, you need to eat. You know what Jesus said? I don't need to eat. I am supercharged. I'm doing the work. Doing the work. Church, be edified. But now, church, I want to equip. And I want you to write these three things down, if you would, as we close out the message. Three things I want you to write down. The first one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. You'll see it on the screen behind me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, 14. Each one's work will become clear. Standing before the judgment, it will become clear, for the day will declare it. Now, what's the work? Preach the gospel. Make disciples. It will become clear when you go before Christ whether or not you've been preaching the gospel or you've been making disciples. He says this, because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. I want you to write this down. Number one, each of us have been given the work 
to preach the gospel and make disciples. Don't say to yourself, I'm not an evangelist. That's not what Paul said by the Holy Spirit. Do the work of an evangelist. Each of us have been given a work to do, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, no matter what we are. Let me tell you about a woman by the name of Dorcas. We're going to call her Tabitha because I'm not too fond of Dorcas. And the Bible even goes, let me tell you about Dorcas. And it goes, and her name was Tabitha, okay? Don't name your child. You know, I shouldn't say that. If you're Dorcas, we love you. Don't email me. I'm sorry. Call her Tabitha. Let me tell you what Tabitha did. She was a seamstress for Jesus. She had a thrift store for Jesus. And when she died, all the women said, look at all the clothes she sewed for everybody, but she sewed them for Jesus. Do you know that you're an IT guy or or gal for Jesus? You know you're a nurse for Jesus. You're a doctor for Jesus. You don't work at the hospital. You work for Jesus. He's just placed you there. Do you realize your world is your work? Number two. Galatians chapter 6, you're going to see it on the screen behind me. But let each one examine his own work, and then he'll have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Number two, examine your work. If the Holy Spirit had to step into your life right now, this isn't not Chet, it's not a guilt trip, but if the Holy Spirit had to step in your life right now and do an evaluation on you, and there were two requirements on your evaluation, are you preaching the gospel? Are you making disciples? How many of you would get called into the office? Don't raise your hand. How many of you would get called into the office and God would go, okay, we got to talk about your job performance? Examine your work. And maybe when you go back to work tomorrow, you'll see it a little bit differently that there are people on their way to hell. Number three, Romans chapter 14, verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of masks. Oh, sorry, food. (laughs) Be careful of your excuses. Be careful of your excuses. careful of them. Because Paul, by the Holy Spirit, said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, he says this, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know what always abounding means? Always abounding. It means you never take a COVID conundrum break. It means you're not lazy. It means you're not complacent. It means you are busy about the work. Now imagine with me if you would. Imagine if 8,000 people of Calvary Chapel, South Bay, had a mind to work. And in 52 days, I say, we won all of L.A. because we had a mind to work. All things are possible. Do you have a mind to work? Father, I come before you in Jesus' name. And my prayer tonight is, Holy Spirit, you would stir our spirit and give us a mind to work. To God be the glory. Your word says that we should ask for the nations. So tonight, our prayer is small. 
we're asking for LA. Give us LA in 52 days. Let me look at my neighbor different, my employer different, my workmate different, the person I play tennis with, the person that I play soccer with. Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? Church, you're going to see on the screen something very important. It's a memory verse. And every time I teach, I'm going to give you a memory verse. And as a church, we're going to memorize Scripture together. So take a look. It's called our Stela moment. A moment where we get to reflect on the message. Here's our verse. Would you say it with me? Nehemiah 4, 6. For the people had a mind to work. Now, some of you are going, well, that's not the whole verse. Well, I'm not going to have you memorize all of Nehemiah because there were no verses back when they were writing it. So I'm picking out the heart of what I want us to marinate in. Would you say it with me again? Nehemiah 4, 6. For the people had a mind to work. Now, close your eyes. Nehemiah 4, 6. Say it. Look who can memorize scripture. I want to give you a challenge to change. Take a look. Take a look at the screen. Challenge to change. Get to work in your neighborhood. Who's got a mind to work? It's time to get to work. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.